Hey, you're into spooky things. Who is your favorite vampire? Ah, uh, the one from Sesame Street. What? He doesn't count. Oh, I assure you, he does. Over 40 years ago, Vail Place opened the doors at its original location. Over 40 years ago, the first client took that first scary step to become the first member. Now it's 2023, and Vail has grown to include a second clubhouse, group residential housing, healthcare programs, case management, and more. Now we've conquered the final frontier. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Behind, Behind the, the Veil, Veil, the podcast. The podcast. Greetings and Happy New Year from Behind the Veil, the podcast. I'm Chad Bolstrom, Director of Clubhouse Programs here at Vail Place, and I'm thrilled for the opportunity to introduce this new beginning of our Clubhouse Community Podcast. I hope you find the following offerings of creativity, music, insight and humor as enjoyable as I have, and that you consider joining us for future productions, either behind the microphone, at the computer, or as a listener. Much like the podcast, I'm excited for the new beginnings facing our community in the year ahead, from the opportunities of new relationships, community-wide activities, ongoing in-person and virtual offerings, just like this one, to be able to share and exercise those strengths, stories, as well as the good works of our community with all of you. The year ahead promises to be an amazing one, and I can't wait to be working side-by-side side with you to help make these promises into a reality. Thanks again for joining us, and enjoy the show. grateful for is being able to get back together with our community. I know that we've spent the last three years going through various stages of reboot and trying to figure out how do we stay connected even when we can't be in the physical space together. It warms my heart so much to be able to join members and volunteers and staff all together today in the Uptown Clubhouse and I'm so grateful for that opportunity to break bread to share Thanksgiving, and to be excited for how this will be our future together. It's Thanksgiving Day, and I'm happy to be here at Vail Place. I'm grateful for snow and winter. It's my favorite season. So I have gratitude for all the people that have been with me since I first began my mental illness. Um, a lot of people will still believe in me, and, uh, and I believe in them. I'm grateful for my family. I am very grateful that I woke up today. I'm thankful for Vail, and I'm thankful for family. I'm grateful for all the people that I have met. I'm thankful I got a place to live. Having great stuff. I'm grateful for my family, I'm grateful for my friends, I'm grateful for Veil Place. I'm thankful for my blessings every day. 
something that I'm really grateful for is definitely Vail Place, um, the community here. I really feel like I'm a part of something amazing. I wouldn't have had anywhere to go today if it wasn't for Vail Place. I feel like this is my family. Sounds good to me. Civilizations from Aztec to Zapatistas, many of them have a common theme, using sound for health benefits. An excellent example of this is the Tibetan singing bowl. Sounds can be used to clear the conscience and give your muscles time to relax. An example of sound used for benefits is simply some music. Let's talk about something called an alpha wave. Alpha waves are a type of sound, specifically the resonance range of only 8 to 12 hertz. The human hearing range is around 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz. So really, alpha waves are technically infrasound waves. The human brain is said to have alpha waves already programmed into the biological neurons that make it up. So, what does this have to do with us anyways? Well, being at rest, your brain manufactures these alpha waves. There are five types in order. Delta, theta, alpha, beta, and gamma. Right in the middle of these types of waves is the alpha waves, which are generated while meditating or at rest. Why are alpha waves important? Because when you sit back at the end of the day, alpha waves signal that it's time to rest. Alpha waves also have other perks. They encourage more creativity. They heal the body and the mind. When the brain has a lack of alpha waves, this might mean you are depressed. Artificial alpha waves, when directed at an individual with depression can potentially help ease that depression. A small study in 2019 discovered that when a depressed person was subjected to a brain stimulation device called transcranial alternating current stimulation, or TACS for short, their depressive symptoms were reduced after the session. Another frequency usage of alpha waves is the Schumann resonance which is considered by most to be the heartbeat of planet Earth. Because the Schumann resonance has an initial frequency of 7.83 Hz, it's ideal for natural healing techniques. One study deliberately removed this frequency from a subject's environment and the subject complained about headaches and other ailments. I hope you enjoyed this look at alpha waves. Stay tuned for the rest of the podcast. And tune again for another Health Facts with Seabass. I remember when I found it, the flower in the snow, contrasting beauty growing in a world I thought I knew. So vibrant it stood swaying in the winds that pushed along, and the flower stood there living, never knowing that was wrong. Now before, when I saw beauty or a peace not found in me, I would lash out to possess it, try to steal what I should be. But this time I couldn't do it, though the thought had crossed my mind. 
for the flower brought out something, something gentle, something kind. Some things that were lost to me that I need to stand and live are the simplest of the gifts you see and the hardest to receive. Yes, I can take the flower, but it won't fulfill my needs. So the flower gave me beauty. The flower gave me seeds. Yes, I can take the flower, but that's not what will be. For as the flower grows with mine, a garden we will see. This is a story about a dog named Tess. At one point in my life, my house had the three cats, Cupcake, Tipper, and Magic, and the two dogs, Tess and Sammy. Tess was a chocolate lab that was exceptionally smart. Tess came into my family when I was a freshman in high school, when my mom married my stepdad, Scott. Scott had trained Tess to be a hunting dog, and he was only used to him. So all of Scott's friends thought she wouldn't connect to my mom. But she did, over food, because she was very food-motivated. Tess also had really bad separation anxiety when it came to my mom and stepdad. Tess would get jealous when anyone hugged my mom. She would actually try to jump up and try to get me between the hugging. She got a lot better when we got the puppy Sammy, though. She knew a lot of tricks, too. I actually trained Tess to bring a flower basket down the aisle at my mom's wedding. I also perfected her rollover with her food motivation. Tess was trained to retrieve birds for Scott's hunting. When she heard fireworks or balloon pop, she thought it was a gunshot, so she would go looking for the bird. In later years, we'd give the dogs balloons to play with, and they'd pop them. Tess would usually just bark at them while Sammy would pop them. She was really attached to my mom. One night, I was downstairs at Scott's house while he was asleep, and Tess was really anxious for my mom to get home from work. She put her nose to the door and move it slightly so Scott would wake up from the sound. So I had to put a barrier of kennels and um, laundry baskets in the hall so Tess couldn't get to the door to upstairs. But once my mom came home, she jumped over the kennels and laundry basket barrier to greet my mom. She would bark at everything, and she had this deep, loud bark that you could definitely hear. Tess was also so sweet and kind. When you were in the car in the front seat, she'd put her head on your shoulder while she was in the back seat, just like, "Mm, I'm here, I love you. When she was happy, she would bring her eating bowl that she's had since she was a puppy and just show you her bowl. And she would bring her leash to you when she wanted to go on a walk. Tess knew what to do to make you happy and it was just in her nature to be kind and sweet. Tess's anxiety got better once we got Sammy. We had to put an extra bar in front of the kennel door and wire the bar to the door so she couldn't get out. But with Sammy, she was just like, oh, you're in here with me? I'm not alone. Sammy calmed Tess down a lot. Tess was a one of a kind chocolate lab and there'll never be another dog like her. Identity and Mental Health by Jeff H. 
It is often said that we people with mental health diagnosis should not become our diagnosis. Instead, we should base our identity on aspects of our life and personality that have nothing to do with the diagnosis. In other words, I should think of myself as a father, son, brother, and writer instead of a schizophrenic. There is a problem with doing this, however. Our identity is closely connected to how we get food, clothing, and shelter. I don't get any of these from the list above. Neither my relationships nor my writing actually supports my needs. Rather, I get social security for being schizophrenic. It's hard to pretend your identity is not your diagnosis when you are paid based on it. But here's the rub. The identities typical people forge through work are usually not that special either. Take the most respected profession in our culture, a medical doctor. What do they do all day? They walk into small exam rooms with people, listen to their complaints, order tests or drugs, and then go to the next patient. It is not a terribly exciting existence, though it is a lucrative and highly respected one. Most other jobs are kind of a drag, too. When I was a teacher, before my schizophrenia got bad, I enjoyed aspects of my job and despised others. I was an English teacher, so I enjoyed talking about literature with students. I couldn't stand correcting papers, and I was bored silly about teaching writing. Why would I want to base my identity on this job that was such a drag much of the time? While it seems natural enough to base our identity on how we obtain our food and shelter, it is a little skewed for everyone. Rarely do we get our kicks from our job. We look to other areas of our life, our leisure time, for those. Since I am on Social Security, I have all the leisure time I could ask for. One of the things I do with it is write, and I have had some limited success with books I have written, most specifically a book of poetry I wrote was taught in its entirety by a professor in a contemporary literature course. At this point, if someone asks me what I do, I just say I'm a retired teacher. This is not entirely true, but it's close enough not to be a total lie. The truth is probably more than the person asking bargained for. What do you say if you ask a person what they do and they say, I'm a professional schizophrenic? They would think you were joking, but it's the closest thing to the truth. Sometimes we don't want to hear the truth, not about schizophrenics, and not about what a drag a doctor's life really is. We all like to live partially in our delusions because sometimes the truth is often too weird or painful to be bearable. Born in Minnesota, but now a transplant from Oklahoma, Karina Forrest Perkins has recently joined Vail Place as our new executive director. Today we sit down with her to discuss life, the clubhouses, and more. First off, it's a little late, but Gwen and I would like to welcome you to Vail Place. So, Karina, it's so nice to have this chance to get together and learn a little bit more about you and our new executive director. Could you explain the role of executive director as you see it? Absolutely. First of all, thank you for this warm welcome, and I look forward to doing this with you today. It's exciting. Uh, Explaining the role of executive director, you know, you do a lot in this role, and I think that the key things for me are to insulate the organization, make sure that I take care of the organization financially, take care of the staff, invest in the staff, invest in the programs, and really protect the organization, number one. The second is to cast the vision for our future and make sure that we're strong and able to to accomplish what we want to in the future. And then also to promote our mission and to lift up the staff and the members and the individuals that are stakeholders for our organization 
so that they can promote the mission alongside me. Where have you volunteered in the past or currently? Well, I have volunteered uh, for Big Brothers Big Sisters in the state of Kansas. I'm currently getting ready to volunteer for them again. Uh, I really believe in mentorship and being able to pass on your gifts and learn from others. I've also done a lot of volunteering in community organizations like Rotary and Kiwanis and Lions and other civic organizations. And so I'm looking forward to getting involved in those locally as well, having now moved back. What first brought you into nonprofit work? Nonprofit work. Well, I started my career in the legal field and I worked there for about well, just under 10 years. And one of the things that I saw on a regular basis were individuals who struggled with their mental health. They also struggled with addiction. They, they didn't receive a lot of supports in the community at that time. This is back in the 90s. And um, I thought that there was a better way that I could be helpful to individuals when they're in crisis. And so I left the legal field and went into, uh, started my master's program and worked at the governor's office at the state of Oklahoma and began to learn all the programs and systems that served individuals that lived with mental health problems and addiction problems. And then I got to know the nonprofits doing this work and the state systems and county systems. And I learned um, which nonprofits I wanted to work in and began to select those and started then a 23-year career working in the mental health and addiction treatment nonprofit community. So that's kind of the short story of how I got here. Um, when did you first hear about Clubhouse? Um, what do you think then and how do you see it now in action? Yes, I first learned about Clubhouse back when I was the CEO for Wayside Recovery Center. I really did not understand the difference between um, crisis intervention, drop-in centers, and the Clubhouse model until I was at Wayside, which was in 2014. I shortly after that learned about Vail Place, understandably, because I was in Minnesota and I learned uh, what Vail was doing. I learned about Vicki's leadership and I learned a little bit more about the difference between the clubhouse model. At the time, I really didn't understand that you, that in this model, it was a community in practice. It was looking at prevention. It was a, a support across the lifespan. It wasn't just intervening and providing support when someone was in the most emergency, uh, the most emergent times in their life. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what I thought then was learning that, oh my gosh, this is about prevention. This is about preventing crisis. This is about being present for you throughout your life. And today, seeing it in action for really the first time, I can say that it is not a service. A drop-in center is a service. A crisis response support is a service, and they are very worthy services. But the clubhouse is a community 
These are, this is about relationships and it is very different and it has truly blown me away to see it in practice. I could not be more impressed and amazed at the power of the clubhouse model. What is one thing about Veil Place that you would change? Something I would change. I would try to remove as much fear as I could from COVID, from being post-COVID, from executive transition, from unsettling thoughts and feelings about funding changes. That's hard to do. That that kind of takes a superhuman strength to be able to remove an emotion that exists in someone else. Um, But if I could change that, I would to try to reassure everybody that the work we do is worthy and valuable and it is powerful and we are going to be better than we've been because I am able to build my leadership on the significantly powerful and effective leadership of the past. And if we had not had such amazing leadership and uh, performance and engagement in the past, then I would be starting in a very different place. And today I can say that we're going to be better than we've ever been. What's one thing about Vail Place that drives you? The commitment of the staff. I've been in many organizations over 33 years. I have served in this field for 23 years. I've served in many, many states and many different environments. And I can say without hesitation that the staff at Vail Place are unique in their commitment to everything that we do. Let's turn our attention to Karina, not the executive director. What genre of music inspires you and what relaxes you after a long day pitching VP? Oh, my gosh. Okay. I love all kinds of music. So I am a, I used to be in ballet. I was in ballet until I was in college from a very young age, the age of seven. So I love classical music. I love uh, rock and country and all of the different kinds. But if I had to choose, it would be jazz and salsa. Yes. And what relaxes me after a long day (laughs) Vail Place would be... Uh, being home, holding my cat uh, with my husband, reading a book, um, watching some great classic movies. We love classic movies, old black and whites and things, and um, just uh, having some quiet time. Some people are a little bit country, some a little bit rock and roll. Which are you? I am jazz and salsa. <laughs> I'm somewhere in between. I'm like the jazz salsa line dancing and um probably not quite as loud as rock and roll or <laughs> a little understated, but I do love rock and roll. You mentioned curling up with a kitty cat. Uh, your next question is what pet or pets do you have now? I have one cat and his name is Gus. And he's about 16 years old. And we've had him since he was a little kitty. Yeah, he's a he's a big boy, though. And he likes to think that he's a person. <laughs> oh, yeah. So he gets Christmas cards. He has his picture framed and hung. And 
Oh, yeah. He definitely has all the um, human characteristics. So, Do you have a favorite pet now? Well, I, I hope it's the one that you it's, have now. Yes, <laughs> yes. Now, in the past, in the past a yeah. dog named Hamlet. <gasps> and he was our family pet forever. And he passed away in 2012. And we decided that we couldn't get another dog. Sammy yeah. was our family dog, so it was really a tough loss for us, for all of us, the kids and everything. So we went to a kitty, and we got Gus. And so we're that all the pets that we have are our favorites. So Hamlet, Gus, they're mm -hmm. all our favorites. What has helped you cope during the most difficult COVID-related challenges? You know, I think the you know I'm a very spiritual person and uh, a person of of faith. And I think the thing that gives me strength every day is knowing that I'm not alone, that I have a, a, a power higher than me that I rely on and the love of my family. And that is something that I think that gratitude has really been something that has strengthened me over my entire lifetime. In my early childhood, you know, I, that was something that came to me young, was a sense of faith in something bigger than myself. And that has really changed me and, uh, and strengthened me in times where it really could have been a, a lonely time. And that has, that has just been that mainstay in my life and, uh, and helped me get through, through things like COVID. What movie is your favorite? Oh my gosh, this is such a tough question. I love so many <laughs> movies. Uh, I, I, if I had to pick, a, oh my gosh, this is just, it's like against my DNA to pick one movie. Okay, so if I had to pick one movie, I guess it would be a, a, like an, I don't, I don't know if it's an Amazon movie or if it's a Netflix original. I know this is bizarre, but it's called An Inspector Calls. And it is a human, uh, human theme play about how you treat people when they're struggling in life and not knowing how much they're struggling and seeing that impact of every little interaction that happens in someone's life and, and the power of it. But yes, an inspector calls would be my favorite one. And I think it what used to be a play, um, a much older play. And, and then I think in 2017 or 18, it was made into a uh, TV movie. Isn't that bizarre that I would choose a TV movie? But I did. <laughs> If you could marry one movie, what movie would you marry? One movie. If I could marry one movie. <laughs> oh, I love to cook. And cooking and baking has been almost a therapy for me because I love it so much. If I had to pick a movie to marry, this is a very <laughs> to marry, it would be Julie and Julia. Because it was that story of that young woman who really loved cooking and started her blog and kind of channeled the Julia Child world. Um, so, yes, I would probably pick Julie and Julia. Uh, but that's only if I had to marry the movie. What is one of your favorite songs? Oh, Beginnings by Chicago. 
Chicago, one of its earliest songs recorded was Beginnings. And it has some of the best percussion work in any song in that particular three-decade period. Chicago number is it though? There are many different Chicago bands. I uh, this is Chicago the band. The original. The original, yes, with Bobby Lamb and Jimmy Panko and yes, yes. My husband has been to probably um 20 of their concerts in person and knows the band member. And that about wraps up our time with Karina. Well, thank you all. This has been so much fun for me. Thank you for taking your time to be with us today. And we look forward to the future of Vail with you. Thank you. And that is what we have today. Subscribe and check back later. Stay tuned for more Behind the Veil, the podcast. Thanks to producer Mark J., Sebastian W., and Kevin F., engineers Mark J. and Sebastian W., contributors Sebastian W., Marissa W., Gwen R.S., Richard W., Jeff H., Mark J., and Kevin F., and every voice speaking up about Veil Place and carrying our stories. 